MPB seeks an experienced multimedia journalist to produce NPR-style news stories and features on issues of local and regional interest. And be comfortable and competent with social media and reporting on multiple platforms. More information at mpbonline.org slash more slash careers. Good morning. It's 830. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a change of venue has been ordered in the trial of a white Columbus police officer indicted for killing an unarmed black man last October. I never known Rick to have a gun. If he had a gun, he kept it hid from the family because he was pretty much open about everything, everything. Anything you asked him, he told you. His friends that he used to be with every day and even live with said they never known him to have a gun. Then the burn bans across the state continue and state officials warn hunters to take care. Later, a visit from the experts of everyday tech on shopping online this holiday season. And a conversation with new Ole Miss Chancellor Jeffrey Vitter. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi Circuit Court judge is moving the trial of a former Lowndes County police officer charged with the shooting death of an unarmed black man to another county. Canyon Boykin, who is white, is accused of killing 26-year-old Ricky Ball in October of 2015 after he ran from a traffic stop. Boykin says he shot Ball in self-defense after first using his stun gun. Ball's second cousin, Alexis Ball, was at a recent hearing on the case and says Boykin's attorney argued he can't get a fair trial in Lowndes County. County. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the family talks about Ricky all the time. Well, for the most part, everybody's doing okay, trying to move on, but it's still hard because everything nowadays is about Ricky. Like, every conversation is about Ricky. It's on everybody's mind. Yeah. Well, tell me, in terms of what has been reported about what took place, um, I just have uh, a few questions. You don't believe that he had a gun? Like I said, I never I never known Rick to have a gun. If he had a gun, he kept it hid from the family because he was pretty much open about everything, everything. Anything you asked him, he told you. His friends that he used to be with every day and even live with said they never known him to have a gun. So, yeah, it, it's kind of hard for us to believe he had a gun, but, hey, we can only just go by what they're putting out here. Mm-hmm. But deep down in our hearts, we know that he never owned a gun. What do you know about the officer, Canyon Boykin? Had you ever seen him? I don't know too much about him, but I've known him from um, previous times when he's jumped out on me and a couple of friends at a nightclub down here in Columbus, Mississippi, that was known as the headquarters. Just him and the other two officers used to always jump out at the nightclub and pat civilians down, and um, they used to harass young people out there and take them to jail. And I also... um knew exactly who they were one night. I took Rick to a convenience store to buy a phone card, and he told me to um, hurry up and leave because those three officers were harassing him. And um, after that night, we left. I started seeing them more often, and the night the night of the shooting, when I dropped him off at a nightclub, they were sitting on the side of the road with their lights turned off. And when my lights flashed in their face, they crunk up and left. And I called Rick, and I was like, hey, those officers you told me about outside. He was like, come back and get me. So I went back and got him, and then like two hours later, I received a call saying that a man had been shot by the police. But let me mind you, no one tried to get in touch with our family until the next day, about 12.30 noon, 
and we had to go to the hospital and identify his body. So no one, no official, no one from the police department contacted. No, no one, no one reached out to our family. They say he didn't have an ID, but we know he had an ID. No one reached out. No one called or anything. All we know is everybody was saying, "Well, we haven't spoken with Rick since last night. Has anybody heard from him?" And the family got in touch with the hospital, and they said they had a body and that we could come identify it. And when my aunt went to identify the body, it was him. When he mentioned three officers besides Canyon Boykin, do you know who he was referring to? Well, at the time, I didn't know their names, but I know their faces. So there was a hearing. You were there. Yes, ma'am, I was. Give us an idea of what happened. I know it's a lot of legalese. It, it was, yeah, it was, it was a lot. It, it just really took a emotional toll on me, but I kind of held it together. It was just a lot of back and forth and a lot of them trying to put the whole thing on social media or blogs or, you know, the community saying that they should have the trial in a different county because they don't believe he'll get a fair trial here with, they said, racial, they think it's a racial profiling thing and they feel that most jurors, the 12 people that they will pick would have already had their mind made up being that they come out of Lyons County and know so much about the situation. Um, but I felt they should have it in Lyons County since it happened here and we don't know all of the facts. Like we still don't know where he was shot, was the taser deployed. We don't know anything just by what they already put out and there's not too much evidence. Well, we have a report that um, a log was recently uh, re- released that details when the taser was activated, and it shows that it was activated 40 minutes after uh, your cousin was shot, not previous to him being shot. Mm, mm, mm. So he actually wasn't tased. Because in, in, in an article I read yesterday about the um, the polygraph, they said that he was tased and somehow the taser wore off and he got up and started back running. But that's how the is statement. So that how is that so when he radioed in that Rick had jumped from the car and not even ten seconds later he radioed in again that shots were fired. So how did you have time to pull out a taser that shots were fired ten seconds after you called in him jumping from the video? I mean jumping from the vehicle. See it's not making sense. Well that's what that document shows. It has a list of all of the times that it was activated. So the taser was activated almost an hour after the shooting. Well, 40 minutes, 40 minutes at 1049. Mm. And the shooting occurred at 1008, According to that log. That's what the mm. log said when it was activated. Does that surprise you? I, I said something about that at first because when the, when the autopsy first came back, they stated that no taser was deployed against him. Like, they didn't see anywhere on his body where a taser was deployed. So I kind of knew something was strange about that. But, you know, they probably did tase him while he was laying on the ground lifeless, bleeding to death. No telling. It's just so much. And, you know, the community can only go by what we hear. We can't just go off facts because we don't know too much about it. And the whole time in the hearing kept throwing up that, well, these blogs on social media or these people making threats, but yet are the threats or the blogs being made by the Ball family? I don't think so. So the attorneys for Mr. Boykin are saying that threats are being made on the Internet? Yes, they said threats are being made all over the Internet, and they're pretty sure everyone in Lyons County can see it. So they don't think that they can pick 12 impartial 
jurors to get on the stand and to give him a fair trial. And they also went on to say that they don't think it'll be a fair trial for Forking North the Ball family. So I guess the judge found, I guess he found they met enough, I, I don't know, I guess they provided enough information for him to move it to a different county because they decided that they would move it to a different county to give him a fair trial. So Boykin's attorneys had to come up with three counties and the attorney defending Rick had to come up with three counties and they're going to pick which one they're going to have the grand jury come, which county they're going to have the grand jury come out of to hear the testimony. So you mean the jury? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm, he was indicted by a grand jury. So now there's going to be a jury that's going to hear the case. Yes, ma'am. MPB's Desiree Frazier with Alexis Ball, cousin of Ricky Ball, the black man shot and killed by a Columbus police officer last October. In other news, state forestry officials are urging hunters not to use any open flames as the state continues to suffer from a drought. MPB's Paul Boger reports. 77 of Mississippi's 82 counties are under a burn ban. The prohibition disallows the use of any wood-burning campfire, bonfire, fire pit, fire ring, burn barrel, really anything with an open flame that produces an ember. And with no significant rainfall in the foreseeable future, Brighton Forrester with the State Forestry Commission says the cool, dry conditions are perfect for wildfires. Right now, conditions are prime for an increase in devastating wildfire activity. Dry, windy conditions, and we're having a dry, windy cold front, actually. Um, That's what makes it really, really bad because the wind makes wildfires spread more quickly than usual. Uh, And so those occurrences just get bigger and bigger before they can be contained. And to complicate matters further, deer hunting with guns is officially underway in Mississippi, and state forestry officials are worried the increased activity in wooded areas may lead to more wildfires. But Dwayne Quick of Brandon says the burn bans won't affect his hunt. I also no sense in using a fire when you're hunting, because deer are going to smell the smoke anyhow if you do that, so you're just wasting your time. Since September 1st, 946 wildfires have burned more than 8,000 acres across the state. Paul Boger, MPB News. Up next, a visit from the experts of Everyday Tech on shopping online this holiday season. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Future quandaries. You give an instruction to your robot to go to work and it turns around and says, I'd rather go to the beach. Or your battlefield robot decides to side with the enemy. Artificially intelligent robots present challenges that none of us has experienced before. I'm Kelly McEvers, a $10 million grant to consider ethics and robots. Later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent here with Wilts Couture and Jeremy Thompson. And today we're going to be talking about how to shop safely online to get you ready for Black Friday. Uh, good morning, Jeremy and Wilts. Thanks for being in today. Good morning. Good morning. So are the two of you big Black Friday shoppers? Like, do you wait in line at the store or do you uh, do a lot of your shopping online? I prefer to do mine online, uh, but I'm more of a small business Saturday guy myself. Uh, I like to support the little guy. Plus, a lot of the stuff that you buy on Black Friday, you got to be really careful with it because it's got a low price tag for a reason. Hmm. We see a lot of those Black Friday laptops not too long after they're purchased in the shop. And Hmm. and people tell us, this was just a Black Friday laptop. I don't want to put a lot into it. So be careful what you purchase. 
That's interesting because, you know, people think they are getting the best deals ever. Oh, you know, yeah. Huge televisions, different laptops. I don't think it ever crosses any anybody's mind that they're getting a, a lesser quality device. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of the time, um, those Black Friday deals have those really dinky, weak Celeron processors in them, and that's one reason that they're marked down so much. So while it may have good stats, it just doesn't quite... It just doesn't quite work. And also the expectation that you have for the performance of that machine needs to be lowered a little bit due to the fact that it was a bargain laptop. Mm -hmm. right. uh, so this idea that you said that you shop on Saturdays instead of Fridays, is this a recommendation you would give to other people? Uh, should folks have been shopping earlier this year? Should they wait for that interim time between Black Friday and Christmas? What are your thoughts on the best time to shop? Well, the whole idea behind Black Friday is that it's the big consumer holiday, but that's for your bigger box stores. Um, the reason I say Saturday is because that's actually small business Saturday. That's where everybody kind of branches out to the little guy and supports them as well. Um, it's, it's really difficult for a small business to have competitive Black Friday prices for things uh, compared to, say, Best Buy or something like that. So it's a good idea to support those little guys as well because, you know, that, that revenue stays in your local community. That, you know, takes care of uh, families and their needs. And it's, it's important that we remember that, that that's the day for the little guy. Uh, so when it comes to places like Best Buy, I've been there before, and I've been able to compare a price of something to somewhere else that I saw on Amazon, for instance. Mm -hmm. So is that something that people should be aware of when they are buying tech devices? You know, hey, I can present this price to you, so you, you can't say that this is a final sale because uh, some, some places will price match. Uh, absolutely. Um, uh, most retailers, as long as it's sold by Amazon and it is in stock, then they will match that price. You just want to make sure that you read reviews on whatever it is that you purchase and make sure that you're you know, getting something good because you can be blinded by that price tag, but you want to make sure that what you're getting is, is a quality machine. Now, Wills, what are your thoughts on um, not going for the new stuff all the time, like maybe looking into something that may be refurbished or used? Well, you know, the refurbished can really end up saving you a pretty good bit of money. It's definitely something to you want to look into it, uh, maybe pay a little bit closer to attention. You know, sometimes they'll knock those prices down pretty hard just for something a little bit cosmetic. And you, if you're not out there just to, uh, you know, to get the new, newest, shiniest penny, that can save you quite a few, you know, quite a few bucks, put a, quite a few back in your pocket. A lot of it would depend on what kind of refurbs they are. I, I do caution folks that if you're going to be, you know, no, no different than if you're buying a used car, if you're going to be buying something refurbed, be it from a box store. You want to ask them, what kind of warranty am I going to still get with this? Uh, you know, using we'll kind of continue with the Best Buy example. You know, some of y'all have probably seen the the uh, the open box specials. Well, the really nice thing with the open box specials at Best Buy is that you still get the exact same return policy. So if you get that particular item home and there's a problem with it, you can still return it. And, you know, there's not really that much of a risk to your pocketbook at that particular point. Uh, factory warranties remain the same, just like if you were to have bought it brand spanking new. So so that really can kind of pay off for you. But again, I would definitely recommend if you do one of those refurbs, open it on up, check it out. You may not want to, uh, if you pick it up on Black Friday, for example, by the time somebody opens it up on Christmas morning, that return policy might have expired on you. 
So you really mm-hmm. want to kind of pay attention to that and see what the problem is. Thanks so much uh, for joining me, Jeremy Thompson and Wilts Couture. Well, we are going to talk more about Everyday Tech, the show, this coming Wednesday. You can send us an email before or during the show to everydaytech at mpbonline.org. I'm Sharita Brent. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. Thanks for listening. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Future quandaries. You give an instruction to your robot to go to work and it turns around and says, I'd rather go to the beach. Or your battlefield robot decides to side with the enemy. Artificially intelligent robots present challenges that none of us has experienced before. I'm Kelly McEvers, a $10 million grant to consider ethics and robots. Later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Jeff Vitter, Chancellor of the University of Mississippi, is now officially on the job. Though he started work late last year, Vitter's investiture, which formally confers the responsibilities of an office to a person, was conducted earlier this month. Correspondent Matt Kessler sat down with Vitter to talk about his role at the state's oldest public university and about what lies ahead for Ole Miss. The chancellor is essentially the same as the president of a university, and in this particular university's case, that leader is called chancellor, and it's it's my honor to be here. The chancellor is is the CEO of the organization and ultimately holds the responsibility for all of the operations academically, uh, athletically, engagement-wise of the university, plus um, in particular, a very vibrant and important part of that university being the medical center in Jackson. So our university has several campuses. Uh, it's a university of 24,250 students, and we are we're a growing university and doing important things for our state and our nation. So it's, uh, it's a great honor for me to be chancellor and to be able to take part in that leadership that we play. If this were a private college, you know, you wouldn't have the same responsibilities that you do to all the citizens, the young citizens of, of Mississippi. Could you talk a bit about how being the chancellor or the president of a public university changes your role? Well, that's exactly right, Matt. And in particular, my theme that I emphasized during my investiture last week was that at the University of Mississippi especially, we have a crucial role to play uh, around the power of higher education to transform lives, communities, and the world. And it's our mission as a public flagship university, as an international public research university, to lift up people so that, frankly, so that they can lift themselves through education Uh, despite what their backgrounds to rewarding lives and careers and we do that in a number of ways and uh, we we value that role you've worked at kansas university you've worked at duke you've worked at brown purdue could you talk to us a bit about the university of mississippi what makes it special and what unique challenges does it face well as a southerner having been born and raised in new orleans 
I've always wanted to come back to the South and play a role where, as here at the University of Mississippi, we can do so much to to transform people, communities, the world, as I mentioned. Uh, we have a special mission here, especially in the state. Uh, the state of Mississippi has many haves and many have-nots, and there is no more important thing for the future of our society than higher education. It's, there's no greater enabler of people than higher education because it allows them to lift themselves up to those rewarding lives and careers. And it's a, it's a noble mission that we have, and that's one that excites me every single day and why I'm really invigorated to be chancellor here at Ole Miss. Could you give us an idea of your vision for the University of Mississippi, let's say 10 years from now, in your investiture speech, you spoke about cross-disciplinary studies, mm-hmm. you, spo- you spoke about um, increasing data analytics. Could you, could you give us a, an idea of what you're hoping to, where you're hoping to steer the university? The University of Mississippi, for the first time in its entire history this February, was named to the Carnegie R1 classification of research universities. That's the top 2.5% of universities nationwide. That's an indicator that we are innovators, we are leaders, we, we are universities that create the new technologies and ideas that will power our society and create jobs for the future. That's an important mission we have. One of the innovative things we're going to be moving on that I announced at the investiture last Thursday is the notion of what we call flagship constellations, which are clusters and groupings of faculty, staff, students who are stars, who are innovators, but not just in individual fields. They're going to be targeting some particular grand challenges that we're going to identify as priorities that are are very deep, broad issues that require the collaboration and insights from many disciplines. So these are opportunities for faculty, staff, and students from across our campuses to work together, to collaborate, to come up with solutions to some of the pressing problems in our society. And those, those are exciting contributions that universities, flagship universities like the University of Mississippi, uh, can and should do. And we take that as our mission to innovate and to lead toward the future. You were invested last week. Mm-hmm. Also last week we had a, at the end of a highly contentious election cycle. Some of our I thought you were going to mention our win against Texas A&M. That was pretty good. Yeah, I should have <laughs> I forgot about that. Also is important. So we have probably half of the students here at the University of Mississippi who are happy about the election, half of the students who are probably very upset, just like the rest of the country. How do you lead at this uh, such a unique t- time politically? Well, everything we do at the university, everything I do personally, I always look to our core values. The core values of the university are embodied in the UM creed and fundamentally is respect for each individual and and a commitment to fairness and civility and I am very impressed by uh, just the the vast majority of our community um, uh, responding in a very positive way 
despite whether someone was for or against the president-elect, people have been engaged in very positive ways. Correspondent Matt Kessler with Ole Miss Chancellor Jeff Fitter. Coming up after Mississippi edition, it's Deep South Dining. Now you're talking with Marshall Ramsey and Southern Remedy. And remember, if you want to catch the show outside the broadcast, just search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app and listen whenever you like. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from Kyle Wynn & Associates, an elder law firm with offices in Ridgeland, Diamond Head, and Hernando, assisting clients throughout the state with estate planning, including trusts, avoidance of probate, and nursing home asset protection. Details at kyle-wynn.com.